Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Dear Writer. This is episode 31 and the sixth episode of our Talking Shop series, where we talk about all the resources that we're using to help us on our writing journey. And like usual with these episodes, we'll jump right in because of time constraints and Sarah and I always talk off topic. (laughs) for way too long. (laughs) Yes, we do that. So Sarah, what's your tool of the month this month? I have chosen a big tool this month. That sounds really strange. (laughs) No, I I chose to tackle a very well-known book. Stephen King on writing a memoir of the craft is my choice. That is a big tool. I don't know. That sounds really weird to say it. Sounds slightly strange with weird sexual connotations or something. I'm just going to leave it. It's my choice of the month. (laughs) So I know that a number of authors on our Spotlight episodes have mentioned it. And I know most writers have at least heard of it. A lot have read it. But I thought, considering it is such a great book, that it's worthwhile diving into it and exploring it in further depth than just kind of glassing over, this is a great book, go read it. Sounds good. I haven't, I started reading it, but then the library recalled it. So I only got through the beginning part where it's just like about his life. So I never got to the on writing part. So um, as Ashley has just alluded to, the first part is basically a short autobiography of how Stephen King got to where he is, which although you could say isn't particularly helpful when writing a book, knowing a great writer's experience is helpful for mindset because it really underlines the fact that success like his does not happen overnight, whatever anyone else may think. (laughs) (laughs) there's the odd circumstance when a writer might land it big with their first book but that's pretty rare and usually they've done some hard yards to get to that first book in quotation marks it's also (laughs) worth noting that although to us readers it might seem like their first book it really is their first attempt so I found reading his autobiography both interesting and provided me with hope and inspiration and that with enough hard work you can become a great writer so then he kind of delves into the second half of his book which is devoted to the art of writing everything from grammar tips to how to build character and developing good writing habits so I think he has like several sections the first one as I said you know is about his life and then it has a section about his toolbox and sort of grammar tips and that kind of thing And then it has a section on writing, basically like the form and style and habits and what he does, what he finds useful, that kind of thing. So it really is a great resource and it's all done very, um, I want to say his style of writing is kind of relaying to you like how he found writing and how he basically he does everything if you were to question him it'd be like you know how do you find editing how do you find revising your works what's your process 
you know, what do you do? Like it, it has just everything that he goes through to get a book down onto paper. So it's really useful. I pulled out a few tips and things of stuff that I found useful in particular. And one of them was about deleting adverbs from dialogue attributions, which has <laughs> been, if you've read any of our earlier blog posts, it back then was a really bad habit of mine. <laughs> Basically every single attribution well a it was weird attributions that you really don't need to use like said will do fine like urged that was my one that for some reason I always <laughs> used I was like what? and then I remember my sister reading it she was like why are you using this word it's so weird and I was like that's a good point I think I'll remove that from now on thanks for pointing it out I just had like so many of them though I feel like you know when you're trying like so hard to come up with creative ways of saying stuff and then you fall into the trap of you know like it sounding it just creates really strange images of people <laughs> exclaiming things and shouting well I mean shouting's not that bad but you you know what I mean <laughs> way too many when you can just use said but the adverbs were also a huge problem <laughs> she said softly <laughs> yeah I still do it, but in the edits, I kind of get rid of them a lot more. I'm very harsh on them. But this kind of, I think, outlines the stark difference between how things sound with and without the adverbs, or Swifties as they sometimes call them, after a, a guy who used too many. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, you don't want to be the person who gets named one of those writing flaws. <laughs> yeah, nice that you're remembered for something, I guess, but... Probably not the legacy that you intended. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, so I'll read just the short piece that he had to say about it. I insist you use the adverb and dialogue attribution only on the most special of occasions, and not even then if you can avoid it. Just to make sure we all know what we're talking about, examine these three sentences. Put it down, she shouted. Give it back, he pleaded. It's mine. Don't be such a fool, Jekyll. Utterson said. In these sentences, shouted, pleaded, and said are verbs of dialogue attribution. Now look at these dubious revisions. Put it down, she shouted menacingly. Give it back, he pleaded abjectly. It's mine. Don't be such a fool, Jekyll, Utterson said contemptuously. <laughs> so he goes on to say, you know, most writers and readers can see the clear difference between those sentences and which one is better. Clearly not the second, the latter. No, <laughs> no, not the latter. Especially because half of them are like redundant. Yeah, you know, like sort of. you don't need them. <laughs> you exactly. just don't need them. And that goes with a lot of adverbs on attributions. The reader knows, you know, if two characters are having a conversation and... I don't know, maybe they're arguing about something. You you don't need something tacked on the end to emphasize that they're really angry. Argued angrily. <laughs> <laughs> the reader knows they're angry. <laughs> That's my new favorite one. Argued angrily. I was trying to come up with something really redundant that worked <laughs> brilliantly. <laughs> I was going to say that's something like that we would have found in one of our very first drafts. Yeah. So I can <laughs> Yeah, I think that illustrates the point. Definitely. <laughs> 
So we'll move on from that. I was kind of looking through the book today and I was reminded that I especially liked his discussion on creating characters as well. As we all know, I am a huge fan of it. (laughs) I love character creation. It is so fun. And I just feel like the way that I like to write is very character driven. So I related to him a lot when he was talking about characters. I will just give you a, a short little blurb from what he said about it everything I've said about dialogue applies to building characters in fiction the job boils down to two things paying attention to how real people around you behave and then telling the truth about what you see (laughs) it's a challenging thing to do sometimes to be honest about how people act and how people behave but I think it's really interesting, you know, to note those small things that people do and ways they act when they're maybe not being 100% honest with themselves even or like the people around them, sort of the shifty way you know, they might glance <laughs> away or yeah, try and sort of turn their body and they start muttering under their breath a bit. Just, you know, there's so many different things that people do that's, you know, related to what they're going through in their mind and I'm just very interested in psychology and how people act and behave and I think it really really helps when you're a beginner writer to just keep your eyes open to sort of that sort of thing happening and what people are doing and then try and relate it to what they're saying and what they're thinking. So you're that creepy person on the bus who's just watching everyone trying to see what people do. (laughs) Yeah. But also with people that you know and who trust you, (laughs) you know, ask them what they're thinking from time to time. When they're sitting there, like, with this strange look on their face, just ask them, what is going on in your mind right now? (laughs) And aside from learning more about them and developing your own relationship with these people that you're close to a bit more, you can learn a lot about, okay, like, they've got this look on their face. They're probably thinking... You don't ever want to assume anything in Mm -hmm. situations, but, you know, when you're trying to write from a character's perspective, that kind of thing is helpful. And yeah, so I could pull a ton of examples from this book, but the fact that it's so packed with useful insights, it's hard to know where to start or stop. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to give one more example and it's kind of on his writing habits. He devotes some time to explaining his process, um, as I said, about writing and editing, which is extremely helpful for new writers to develop a flow and inspiring to know that if you are struggling, it's only normal. So with that said, here's the last little piece I pulled out. Writing fiction, especially a long work of fiction, can be a difficult, lonely job. It's like crossing the Atlantic Ocean in a bathtub. There's plenty of opportunity for self-doubt. If I write rapidly, putting my story down exactly as it comes to my mind, only looking back to check the names of my characters and the relevant parts of their backstories, I find that I can keep up with my original enthusiasm and at the same time outrun the self-doubt that's always waiting to settle in. That's very relevant to everybody, I think. I think so too. And I think it is nice to know that even Stephen King has (laughs) self-doubt. Yep, yep. Which is crazy when you think about it. You know, he's got these huge hits and he's just output book after book and these gigantic long novels. 
and sold incredibly well. He's, you know, one of the most sort of famed horror writers of our time. Even writers, I would say. Yeah. Not even just horror writers, just writers in general. Exactly. And so when you think about him having self-doubt, you know, it just underlines how common it is to have those feelings. So you're not alone. Even Stephen King feels that way sometimes. Yeah, so that is my sort of introduction of Stephen King's On Writing a Memoir of the Craft. And if you haven't read it, then you definitely should. When I started it, I was a little bit kind of like, oh, am I actually going to like this? Especially when it starts with the sort of autobiography, because I don't read a lot of autobiographies. I'm very much a fiction reader. And same anything nonfiction I read is quite specifically about things that I want to apply, like, you know, writing techniques and things like that. So reading something that kind of is fairly indirectly related, I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> but I did really enjoy it. And I should shout out to my older brother, Corey, who bought me this book, I think a couple Christmases ago. I have enjoyed it. I think I need to read the second half. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I literally only read the autobiography part. Just happened to get it out, I guess, when I was in a really busy part and couldn't get through mm, it all. Yes. But I did find it. I quite enjoyed the autobiography part anyways, because he had some really interesting little stories about some of his stories. <laughs> yes. I guess. <laughs> and how they came about, which I found quite interesting as well just kind of knowing that maybe that story you had lingering around for a while can become something after all yeah but yeah I definitely need to read the second half it sounds very interesting definitely so what was your choice for the month Ashley so this month my pick is a little bit different to usual I think most of mine have been quite heavy on the grammar or craft sort of side of writing but this week I've chosen a book that's not really a typical writing book, but it is to do with creativity and trying to find ways to help unlock your creativity. And to be fair, he does focus, this book is focused mostly on writing, but you can obviously apply it to other creative pursuits that you might have, making music or painting, whatever. So it is called Steal Like an Artist, 10 Things Nobody Told You About Being Creative. It's by a guy called Austin Cleon. It is not a very big book. Probably took me max an hour to read. Wow. And it's mostly, yeah, it's mostly illustrations. So it's lots of little illustrations within a little description, like to accompany it. So it is also a New York Times bestseller. And yeah, so it's just basically 10 little tips that he has about bringing out your creative side. So if that's something you're quite interested in, it could be a good thing to check out. I thought I'd just go through a few of the 10 principles that he has just the ones that spoke to me a little bit and then you can kind of get a feel for what the book is like if you want to check it out so tip number one shouldn't be surprising given it is the title so it's steal like an artist cleon describes this as nothing is truly original anymore which kind of makes sense and he puts everything around you into the thought that there are only things that are worth stealing and things that aren't. So this is usually to do with ideas uh, and things that you see in the world around you. And he has put a good quote in there to kind of explain it. He says, everything that needs to be said has already been said, but since no one was listening, everything must be said again. <laughs> <laughs> Quite liked. <laughs> 
And he, he describes every new idea as just a mashup of older or previous ideas that you've vibed with and have then combined into your own piece of work. So it's not obviously plagiarism. It's just more that you take little bits and ideas mm. and things that you like from all of the creators around you that inspire you and then start to mold and shape it into something that's your own. Yeah, I think that, you know, speaks to everyone's particular interpretation of something. Exactly. I think everyone, you know, assimilates information into little boxes in their head. So they take something from this and then something like from something else. And then, you know, you combine those in such a way that it becomes something new. Yeah. In quotation marks, (laughs) even though the original idea came from something else. So it's worthwhile just when something kind of hits your curiosity to explore that a little bit further, even if you think, eh, it's been done before. Yeah, definitely. I do this already, but he obviously says like, you know, keep your little notebook everywhere so you can write down the little ideas and then store them away for later. Just like let them sit there and they might start mingling with other ideas uh, until you form something that you're ready to act on. So yeah, I thought that was quite a well, it's obviously the premise of his book. So I thought I had to definitely include that one. But I also <laughs> liked the idea of it. Yeah. It's like also not having to stress that your idea isn't, you know, super, super original because that everything, you know, even with like, you know, you, you're writing a YA book. So many people have written YA books and you're writing one about murder. So many of them have murder in them. Like it's just like your spin and your take on it. That's yeah. the original part. So another one that I quite liked was write the book you want to read. So we've kind of covered this briefly before, but so write what you like, not necessarily what you know, which we've talked about in a couple of our other podcasts, how it's good to write what you know, but you have to also be able to write other things and other things could be what you like. I thought this was particularly spoke to me quite well because I thought about, you know, what do I do in my job? I'm a scientist. I do chemistry every day in the lab. And that's not really what I want to read about at all. So what I know, if I put that into a novel, I would just be like, no, get enough of this in my day job. I don't need this in my novels necessarily. So I quite liked that notion. I also think that it's not just about, for some people, you know, they think they have to try and write to the market, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, I'm going to write what sells. And even though, you know, something might be doing really well one month or this year or something, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be that way for one thing. And number two is that if you aren't passionate about it, then you aren't probably going to do a very good job of writing this apparently sellable book. So you probably won't find it necessarily as successful as someone who like is their passion, right? So yeah. don't just write to market either, is what I'd say about that point too. Because whenever I think about writing to market, I just remember when we were first writing our teen fiction books, it's when Twilight came out and like all people wanted, like all publishers wanted was vampire fiction or some sort of fiction that was either vampires or werewolves or something like that. And Sarah and I were like, no, we refuse <laughs> to write vampire fiction. So yeah, we were not interested in that. No, we were not. (laughs) Another one, getting back to the book, another one that I thought was quite good is he says, do good work and share it with people, which 
I also thought was quite good. Um, and one of the key things that he had in this little section, I've got a quote here. It was, you learn that most of the world doesn't necessarily care about what you think. And when you're starting out as a new author or whatever your creative pursuit may be, that's a, actually a really good thing because you only really want to get attention once you know what you're doing and you're doing good stuff. Um, so <laughs> yeah. He says, enjoy your obscurity while it lasts and use it to your advantage. So it means you can put lots of stuff out there and not have to worry about what your editor thinks or what your big you know your reader fans think or what the publisher thinks um you're able to go out there and create kind of what you want and find yourself yeah it gives you a chance to experiment exactly exactly and he says this is one of I found this very amusing he was like so if you just you know know that you're gonna suck for a while um it will make it everything easier but you will get better and once you get better then you can start to share it with the world which I I quite liked because it doesn't have to be big parts of your work it can just be you know little things like tips and tricks things that you've learned whatever so I quite liked that you're like it's okay that you know we're obscure for now <laughs> yeah I definitely think that too <laughs> obscurity has its advantages Definitely, definitely. You can really experiment and kind of get to know what, well, one, what you're good at, because sometimes it takes a little while to figure that out. A lot of trial and error. Yeah. Uh, his final one, which I think applies to life in general, and it's very short, was be nice, make friends and ignore enemies. I was like, yep. That's so sweet. Yes, yes. So anyway, so that was uh, from the book Steal Like an Artist by Austin Cleon. I'd recommend it if you can either buy it, check it out in your library. It doesn't take very long. Just a lot of interesting, you know, things to think about when in your creative life, I guess. Yeah, for sure. It gives some quite interesting points by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's all, I didn't cover all, all of them, obviously, but there's a lot more. In the English artwork, the artwork is quite cool. Uh, and he started off, some of his art that he does is like newspaper poetry, where he like blacks oh, out cool. parts of the newspaper to like make poems and stuff. That's what he started out doing. So there's a few of those. In Dan quite likes doing that. It is quite fun. I tried, but I'm, I'm not as good as Dan. <laughs> <laughs> But clearly, poetry has never been a strong point, no matter what <laughs> no. type. No. We've covered that. Anyway, so what have you been reading for fun this month? So I've been catching up on Robert Galbraith's books, so aka J.K. Rowling's books. <laughs> and that has been a fun break from work and very enjoyable. So I'd already read the first three in the series a long time ago, but only recently did I realize that there was actually now a fourth and a fifth book out. <laughs> it's always so good when you're like, oh, this author that I love has written more books and I didn't even know. Exactly. So last week I finished Lethal White and now I'm partway through the fifth one, Troubled Blood. And so if you've never read the series, it's about a detective called Kamoran Strike. And his sidekick, Robin Ellicott, or as they, their lives as they work at Strike's detective agency solving a variety of cases. So while it's a detective series, it also has some pretty lighthearted humor through it. And it's quite a relaxing read. I feel like it's quite character driven for a detective series. You know, like usually you find, or well, some detective series can be quite plot 
driven because obviously there's like specific points that the characters need to get to to sort of unraveling the mystery but hers are quite character driven and they I think it's actually um third person omniscient okay because it does in some places like even though I feel like per chapter you're following a particular character it does in some places like switch between the viewpoints but it, it can be quite funny and add to sort of the dramatic irony because you can see that on one side Kamoran's thinking he's thinking about like how something came off as really bad and he's embarrassed by it or whatever and then the, on the other side there's Robin and she's got her own worries and you're like no no <laughs> <laughs> neither of you are seeing the real like (laughs) what each other are actually thinking right now (laughs) so it's quite funny that way and I think she utilizes that part of it quite well but yeah I find it quite a relaxing read despite some bits I guess being kind of dark but it works very well for pulling me out of my own head so yeah I've been enjoying it I suggest the series and we're also watching the TV series of it at the moment too. Oh, a TV series. <laughs> yes. I didn't. I haven't read any of her books, his books. I haven't read any of the books. <laughs> I haven't read any of the books. Dan is fond of saying in the in the TV series if he's if there's something that he doesn't a hundred percent agree with, or like isn't a hundred percent accurate. He's like, with this Robert Galbraith, there's no J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty funny (laughs) I like it it is funny yeah so what have you been reading Ashley I have been trying to read something a little different Uh, as you've probably noticed from all of these talking shop episodes I'd been trying to read in the YA genre quite a lot and then I moved on to reading historical fiction which I do love uh, except I was exclusively reading ancient Greece ones and I was just feeling quite I don't know, bogged I was feeling down. really bogged, yeah, really bogged <laughs> down with all of it. So I tried to find something for fun. But as I've also said, I've just been struggling in general to find books that I like. So I a friend actually recommended this book to me. I'm gonna shout out to Christy. So she gave it to me to borrow. She's like, it's really, really good. You're gonna really enjoy it. And so far I have. So it is called 5050 by Steve Kavanagh. And the listeners can't see this, but Sarah's gonna laugh at how similar the two covers are from the books <laughs> that is funny they're both black with white writing uh, and, and a, red writing a dash of red <laughs> and a dash of red so yeah I just noticed uh, having them next to me that they're very similar so 5050 is a I'm not really sure how I'd class it's not really a detective book but kind of so the tagline on the front is two sisters on trial for murder they accuse each other who do you believe mm. so the premise is independently these two sisters each call 911 within 30 seconds of each other and inc- accuse the other sister of murdering their father that's interesting <laughs> yeah so the most interesting part about it is actually the structure which i really like so it's multi perspective so there's one perspective from each of the legal teams representing each sister so you get both, uh. both legal teams. And then there's a third perspective, which is ominously entitled she. Right. Which is the perspective of the murderer and who doesn't reveal their name or any of like which sister they are. So like every third chapter you get she, which, you know, describes the murder and, you know, what she's doing afterwards and some of her tics and her life. 
and then you get the two legal teams who are interviewing you know each sister and you know both claim they're innocent and so you're trying to like piece it together very interesting so I've liked it quite a lot really really cool structure so I'm about a quarter of the way through it so far but I am I am really enjoying it so my friend recommended very good book (laughs) so yeah I'd recommend reading it if that's what you're into if you want to it's just quite different and I I do like the perspective as well I like it when writers get really creative with perspectives and structure I think that can sometimes just make all the difference in making a book stand out Mm. is how they combine that sort of unique situation with the perspective yeah yeah so definitely recommend (laughs) I think this brings us to the end of this episode so I think we should probably round things up so there's still some spots left on our author spotlight section if you go to our website at lindersoncreations.com and click on the podcast drop down menu it'll give you the be featured on dear writer page where you can fill in your details please apply yeah so what are we doing next time on dear writer so next time on dear writer it's our main podcast and we're going to be talking all about theme uh, what it is and how you can incorporate theme into your novel which I think will be quite an interesting conversation I am very excited about this (laughs) I love theme almost as much as I love character but it's partly because (laughs) I thought you were going to say setting and I was like you didn't like sitting. <laughs> no. Theme was my thing. It's the opposite for me. <laughs> Anyways, um, if you'd like to know more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com or you can check us out on Facebook or Instagram, which is also under the handle of Linderson Creations. Yeah, if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Tell your friends about us. And yeah, we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Bye.